And instead of a jarring cacophony this week, we have the theme from Rick Wakeman's classic Myths and Legends of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, more familiar to TV viewers as the BBC's election night theme. That's right, to mark the 2019 general election, due any day now, the Power of Three podcast is this week looking at three occasions when our favourite show trespassed into the world of politics. Now to introduce my co-conspirators, say hello Davey. Hello, um, I'm David Steele, but not that David Steele. Say hello Kenny. I'm Kenny and I'm not that David Steele either. So we're looking at three politics shows, uh, Adventures of, of the Good Doctor. Indeed. Do you know anything about politics, Tom? Not really, actually, no. <laughs> not these days. These days it's a foreign country. <laughs> for those who don't know, Tom is the former Member of Parliament for Glasgow South. And um, I probably voted for him at least two or three times. So you, you were the one guy yeah, in 2015 who voted I was, for him? I, was, I, definitely, I definitely didn't. I, I can tell you, Tom, I've never voted for you because I was never in your constituency. I definitely did. Well, you should have moved. I think it's such so like everybody else, you could have the privilege of not voting for me. <laughs> Uh, um, is it a good idea? I mean, just just talk in general about this. Is it a good idea for the, for Doctor Who adventures to trespass into the world of politics? I, I say trespass. That's maybe not the right word. I don't see. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah. I think. I mean, you know, the stories. There's the stories we've picked to cover today, but there are stories that we could have covered as well. Where it's, I think, even more on the nose. You know, the two Peladon stories in the Petway era, for example. You know, which you know, Costa Peladon's all mm. about joining the, the the common market and all mm. that. Essentially, I think. Um, and the monster Peladon is about the minor strikes. Yeah, there's um, I think it's I think it's perfectly fine. I think you know certain members of the audience will appreciate it, and other ones they might not appreciate the full details. But I don't see why not. Yeah, I, I think, think it's it's fair game with pretty much modern life. Doctor Who has always had a comment on it, whether it's the environment or anything like that. So. Well, well, not politics. I'm sure Chibnall listens to this um, podcast. Maybe it'll give him the idea to do a, another Peladon adventure where Peladon is now leaving the Federation. Federation. Yeah. And uh, there's been a democratic vote and people who lost are now trying to <laughs> undermine that vote and keep them in the maybe, Federation. Maybe it's the case that the Pels have a little bit more information about <laughs> the implications of it all. Who can say? I've got my Pen- head in my hands. Penny's <laughs> holding us back. He's putting a... Anyway, we'll keep so, that one for the end of January, shall we, chaps? And, well, we'll know, we'll know, we'll know December 13th whether it's happening. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas and all. Right, so, yes. So yes, the, the first episode, and who's going to tell us what TARDISFandom.com says about the invasion of the dinosaurs? Invasion of the dinosaurs was the second serial of season 11 of Doctor Who. It was the final story to be written by Malcolm the Incredible Hulk. It didn't Hold on, does that. it say that? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I've added okay. that in because he was quite incredible. Uh, this story marked a significant plot twist. Get ready for this, guys. Spoilers. Captain Mike Yates betrayed Unit as a result of his traumatic experience in the Green Death. As punishment, he was dismissed from Unit, but Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart was sympathetic and arranged for the lessening of his punishment. Yates was made to go on an extended sick leave and given the opportunity to make a quiet resignation, granting him the mercy of a grateful departure in exchange for his past service as a loyal officer. Following this event, it was Richard Franklin's last regular appearance before returning to do a send-off performance for his character in Planet of the Spiders, the third Doctor's regeneration story. It also saw the debut of the Doctor's second and noticeably more advanced car, the Humobile. The commissioning of this car was the result of John Pertwee's love of gadgetry and the spy culture in general. However, it was only used once more during his tenure, with Bessie remaining the, cho- the Doctor's chief road vehicle of choice. Now, you've just listened to that, and the word dinosaurs was only mentioned once. <laughs> in the title. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs, dinosaurs. In fact, do you know what? That's what I think of your summing up, TARDISFandom.com. Crunch it up. Is it not mentioned how many episodes there were and made a big deal about that? No mention of number of episodes. No mention. the final story to have seven episodes until... (laughs) It's what a load of tripe. That is just, does not sum up Invasion of the Dinosaurs whatsoever. Are you listening here, TARDISFandom.com? Yeah. Yeah, get it up, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's uh, a very strange summing up. I always thought they would include the fact that um, episode one was entitled Invasion to preserve the mystery of the appearance of the dinosaurs at the cliffhanger to this episode. You see, that that did confuse me for years because I vividly remember the first episode being called Invasion. Yeah. And... 
for years afterwards, I didn't pay attention to the name on the screen after, in the sure. subsequent mm-hmm. episodes. So for years, I thought it was called Invasion. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Geneva on the line, sir. There, sir. Thank you. Put it down, sir. Over there, Sergeant. Would you cancel that call, please? We won't be needing it now. And what do you think you're doing, Captain Yates? I'm really sorry, sir. What are they going to do, Mike? They're going to roll back time. The world used to be a cleaner, simpler place. It's all become too complicated and corrupt. Roll back time, I see. Can Whitaker really do that? I believe so. All the preliminary experiments have been successful. Do you realize what will happen if they succeed? (laughs) We shall find ourselves in the golden age. There never was a golden age, Mike. It's all an illusion. Not this time. We're going to make it come true. Really? How? Whitaker's machine creates a protective field. Anyone within that field will be unaffected. Anybody outside it will just cease to exist. Quite right, Doctor. Are we inside this protective field? Perhaps. Perhaps not. We're on the very edge of the zone here, but it doesn't matter. You mean it doesn't matter to you, not existing? I'm not important. The others will get there. Look, I understand your ideals. And in many ways, I sympathize with them. But this is not the way to go about it, you know. You've got no right to take away the existence of generations of people. There's no alternative. Yes, there is. Take the world that you've got and try and make something of it. It's not too late. We've also recently talked about um, Tale of the Zygons in the podcast, and a lot of what I have to say about Invasion of the Dinosaurs is actually quite similar to what I said about Tale of the Zygons. We had, we had the book in one of our classes at the school with that gorgeous cover. You know, with um, the Chris Achilles cover with Jonesy Clack. fighting off Clack and the pterodactyl and the big tyrannosaurus looming out of the blood-red London. Amazing. Uh, amazing. And um, it's one of Malcolm Hogg's best novelizations because it adds in so many more little character shades and detail that it gives the, the Martin Jarvis character um, a scar and you know, talks about how he's a fireman and all that sort of stuff. And Phil has a little scene at the start with the guy going down to London for the football and you know, from Glasgow and losing his mates and all that sort of stuff, which is always stuck in my head. Um, and it's canon, quite frankly. But no, it's, um again, unlike Terror of the Zygons, which we discussed recently, it's another story where the, the unit actors are all, you know, at their peak. For me, one of the, some of the greatest scenes in this story are the, the scenes with John Levine and Nicholas Courtney and Richard Franklin. It's it's devastating when, when Captain Yeats is sort of revealed as the traitor and, you know, the, the other regulars just play it all so well. It's interesting because it's the third... Unusual, it's like that unusually by that point in Pet Weird, it's the third consecutive unit story, but it's also the second one out of three to have a, a story theme about, you know, the damage to the planet and, you know, what humanity's inflicting upon it, you know, an anti-pollution sort of message. It's very worthy without, I don't think, being preachy. Um, it gives Elizabeth a chance to show Sarah Jane off as a journalist doing proper investigation. John Jay is still clearly having a great time. The dinosaur models are pretty shocking, I can't lie. But ultimately, it's not really a story about dinosaurs. And I think, I've always, I can now kind of hold the feeling that they, um, even just calling it the Invasion of the Dinosaurs is a bit of a missell. Yeah, I can see that. I remember at the time, um, so I watched it on broadcast, and a few years later bought the novelisation and was very excited to read the novelisation because I remember watching it when, when it was first on and being completely bowled over by the central premise, this idea that they were faking a, a colonisation to another planet, yeah. but I had to bring them back in time. Yeah. And I thought that was just one of the best ideas that I'd ever seen on screen. I just thought that was wonderful. On second watching and re-watching it, there's a couple of slight plot holes. <laughs> so when this um, spaceship full of of people who have taken out a second mortgage and whatever to, 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 to yeah. pay for their way. When they land back on Earth, land in inverted commas, and it's back in the Cretaceous period or whatever, are they not going to ask Martin Jarvis how he got there? 
I suppose, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I came on another ship. Yeah. <laughs> Shuttlecraft or something. Um, but, and I loved the, the whole Mike Yates betrayal. I just thought that was such an adult theme to, to inject into Doctor Who at that time. I remember vividly my heart being in my mouth at the scene, even though the dinosaur was admittedly rubbish, when the Doctor tries to use the stun gun. Yeah. That he's constructed yes. and Yates has, has uh, sabotaged, sabotaged yeah. it. Yeah. But Yates nevertheless comes to the rescue and you know takes the button off and, mm. and, and, and you know stuns the Tyrannosaurus. I remember vividly that, that original scene and, and just thinking that was just fantastic drama, even with the rubbish dinosaurs. Do you think there's a scope for new CGI effects for I think, dinosaurs? I think that this was yeah. discussed when they were doing the DVD release. And because of the some of the shots would have been problematic. I've seen to try some. And do. I've seen some amateur stuff. I think it was here today or yesterday on my time hop. I saw some amateur stuff. It was broadcast by the BBC in 1974. I should rephrase then. Um, fan made, and you know it doesn't look. I think technology has moved on well enough that they probably could. I mean, I've seen they would basically just mask out the section. And yeah. mm-hmm. I think I think it probably could be done. I mean, maybe you know, let's hope for the for the inevitable Blu-ray that they actually. But then there is this, there is a, the the argument, isn't there, that rubbish special effects are part of the Doctor Who legend. Yeah. But at the same time, they have got the technology to do it, and they've done it for other stories yeah. to replace some, even in some cases, some okay shots, particularly the special edition Planet Fire. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean the thing is, that some some of the some of the shots are excruciating. Like the Tyrannosaurus jumping through the wall and all that sort of stuff, and the cliffhanger at part one. But some of the close up Tyrannosaurus model work is that it's, it's, it's okay, but it's I mean it's the thing. But not as good as the front cover that Chris yeah, Clues does. Yeah, crack. You feel so mm-hmm. sorry, for, you know. In a way, you feel really sorry for for Barry and Paddy and all that when like, you know they've they've said you're gonna be able to do as dinosaurs. Oh, I no problem. They'll be fine. Yeah, yeah we'll do it then. Yeah, dinosaurs. What ten o'clock fi- Friday morning? Yeah, lovely. No problem. And then it's like you know thump. And it's just some phone. I months. remember. I remember being at I think one of the Monopticons in the nineties, one of the Monoptican conventions, and um, the you know the scene when the the Brontosaurus or what we're supposed to call them now and the Tyrannosaurus start fighting and yeah. someone dubbed over the keyboard segment from Jatem. <laughs> so it looked like they were kissing you know it was hilarious just and then it's one of these things I think there's a, another slash video where um, it's the clips of Sam Neill and Laura Dern from Jurassic Park yeah. and they're beholding and then it cuts in the shots <laughs> of the dinosaurs from this story so in, in what respect is this political? well obviously we have Sir Charles Grover and his cohorts he's obviously supporting this bid to try and save the ruined planet Earth as he and his Olympian mates are all part, or they're all supporting the scheme, heading underground into their spaceship and in inverted commas, as they bid to roll back time as part of Operation Golden Age. It's yes, yeah, it's, it's um, it's an effort to um get things back to the way they used to be. Yeah, yeah, good point. Which is, um, which is nothing at all like Brexit, but I is, take your point. Which is you know to coin a phrase, in some ways it's it's a very admirable. Um, it's quite an adult. Mind. It's quite an adult theme to yeah, adopt for because, adult you know, when you consider the implications that you're wiping out the entire you're, you're, population, you're wiping out the entire population, and for an elite few, and you know, all the history, you know, all, all the artistic and you know, and scientific achievements and everything. It's, it's a, because it's interesting because it, it is it idealism. There's something naive about their intention. You know, it's like they they're obviously they're more concerned about you know the um they honestly feel that the ends justifies the means. It's and other sort of, you know, sort of cliches. It's it's fascinating. I mean, I I sort of um I sit and watch it, sort of going, I can see their point. <laughs> okay, first of all, that's a red flag. <laughs> Second of all, it fits very well, doesn't it, into the current debate we're having with climate change. Mm. You know, if this if this mm. story was made today, it would be mm. climate change would be the the main issue that you're trying yeah. to reverse yeah. through yeah. a through a time time loop. Time, thing. Time, yeah. scoop, Time, Time scoop, that's what they call it. Time scoop. And as I said, it's coming hot on the heels of, of the Green Death. Because, you know, there's a scene when, when Lizzie's on the spaceship. And is it, there's a brilliant scene, actually. She's watching a, a sort of a video, which in the voiceover is done by Martin Jarvis. <laughs> and then there's a scene, you know, Lizzie's watching the video, which is telling about the pollution and all that. And it cuts to a scene with Martin Jarvis. And this, this 
killed me, absolutely killed me this time. It was really funny. Isn't the woman on the spaceship the woman from Aloha Aloha? Yes. yes. And, and there's the guy who looks like Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> yes. And that explains a lot. And the guy the guy who actually pops up, and again, the same actor pops up in Robot. The man who sold his house is the brilliant... I sold my house. Um, he, is, he pops up in Robot as one of the the Scientific Reform Society. Uh, and right. Johnny Morris wrote one of his blogs of Doom and DWM and sort of basically said it was the same character because it was played by the same actor. Yeah, I mean, it's we can't lie, you know, climate change is, is a big it's a big thing, you know. Um, it's It gives lie to the idea that man is the most intelligent animal when it's laid waste to its environment, you know. It's, it's, it's a, it was obviously a hot ticket in 1974-73, and, and it's interesting that it's become even more of a concern. Mm-hmm. But in 73, it wasn't climate change, was it? Because in 73, we were still expecting the next ice age. It was a bit of pollution, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was... Yeah. yeah. Little did realise the plastic, obviously, aspects come into it since then. Yeah, yeah of course. And I do have to say, I think Mike Yates was treated unduly leniently. He should have spent a considerable amount of the left the rest of his life in prison. I mean, it was, it was jobs for the boys. It was it genocide on a massive, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, unprecedented scale, and it, he yeah. was complicit. Yeah, and they let him. He probably gets pension. Yeah, I mean. Probably why I was able to afford that nice sports car and that nice yeah. Sweet, sweet jacket. But the interest, I mean, the interesting. We have to talk about this actually. I think the um, the the development that Richard Franklin gets in his four years is just there's there's nothing else like it in the original series. Um, you know, he, he's he's a slightly sensitive sort of character in season eight. And the thing that the thing that people that that I sort of clocked when I did my whole watch big watch through was he gets injured in the Time Monster. You know, the doodle bug falls mm-hmm. and all that, and he gets he's he's obviously he must be must have been hospitalized, which is why he's not in the next story, which is the three doctors. But then he pops up again a couple of stories later in the Green Death because he's you know he's been whilst he's been recovering he's been diverted into other ideas and the Green Death he's encountered with the blue crystal opens his mind and mm-hmm. all that and then you know in, in the time between the Green Death and invasion of the dinosaurs he's obviously. He's been affected, he's, quit, he's changed his priorities, and then of course he gets, he gets a resolution in Planet of the Spiders. It's, you know, it's, as has been said elsewhere, it's unprecedented up to that point in the regular series, there was nothing like it. And I think the only thing that maybe comes close is what you get with Ace in the last couple of years with mm-hmm. Sylvester, but even that, that's not as nuanced, not as subtle as what they do with Richard Franklin, I think, is criminally underrated, I think. Well, that's the invasion of the dinosaurs. Tom, what? <laughs> Before we move on, uh-huh. I hear that there's a city in central Scotland that's had a wee bit of a fright recently. Yeah, go on. Perth shock. Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! The next adventure we're going to look at in this uh, political-themed episode is The Happiness Patrol. This is what TARDISFandom.com says about that. The Happiness Patrol was the second serial of season 25 of Doctor Who. It was intended by the writers to be a parody of Thatcherism, with Helen A. representing Margaret Thatcher herself. That's it. That's all it says. In the whole, oh, the whole of that okay. adventure, that's all it says. Well, through 75 minutes worth, and we get one, two, three, four, five lines of text and Tom's printout. So the Happiness Patrol, I remember watching this at the time when it came out, all excited after Remembrance of the Daleks, full of high pace, high excitement, and I watched it, and I was slightly underwhelmed. I think I was expecting every story that season, 25th anniversary, was going to be high octane, high energy. It was just going to be, everything I expected to be would just be outrageous, fast paced and just jumping all over the place. Explosions left, right and centre. And then we got the Happiness Patrol. So at the time, I wasn't a big fan of it, particularly when Bertie Bassett shows up. Um... But then with hindsight, I mean, years for years, I, I thought this was dreadful. I thought it was a very, very poor story. And then mid-90s, I watched it for the first time in years and thought, actually, I'm quite entertained by this. I think there's quite a lot of interesting stuff here, watching it with a slightly more mature head, different levels. And you can see there's, there's a class warfare going on. There's an oppressed underclass. You've got an elite society. Um, led by this dictator and you've got um, a repressed gender as well so in many ways it's almost a reversal of what we we currently have with uh, the Me Too and 
such likes with the, the, these campaigns that have been going on. So looking at it now, how do I feel about it? I really quite enjoyed it when I rewatched it again. I think there's an awful lot uh, in there. The fact that it's, it's actually got a bit of a swaggering confidence to it, which I'd never really picked up on at the time. I mean, to have the Doctor singing as time goes by, fantastic. And that confrontation with the snipers on the roof, to have the Doctor talking people out of their out of their job, basically, telling them to put their guns down and look me in the eye. And I think Sylvester delivers that really, really well. I think it's a really good mix of, of comedy. There's obviously some good dramatic stuff in there. And I think it's very much, here's a production team that has been learning the strengths of the, of the lead actor, the strengths of the companion, the fact they've been working together for this length of time. And they're now able to go forward by bringing some of Sylvester's personal his, uh, interests and strengths and developing it, which I don't think happened as often before. I think we've, and Andrew Cartmel, the script editor, he spent an awful lot of time socialising with, with the actors, finding out who they were and was able to get that incorporated into the scripts with the writers meeting with them. So I really, really enjoyed it. I can tell from your face, Tom, that you're not a fan of it. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to wait until after Dave explains why, <laughs> why it's the best thing that's ever been shown before I come in. Before I satire. Can, um, couldn't our, be a political podcast without some satire. <laughs> I think, obviously, the, the most blatant in terms of the politics side of it, we have um, Helen e, who apparently in the original working draft was known as Margaret T. <laughs> <laughs> really? Unbelievable. That's Which, a bit on the nose, is interesting, it? but I think um, <clears throat> it's very interesting. In fact, you've got, uh, you've got her with her sort of bumbling husband and, and just... Below, that she's basically elopes with Geoffrey Howe. Indeed. Or indeed. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's definitely that uh, element to it. And of course, we do have the, the, whole, um, the whole pinkness of it. And it, and it has been said that it was having a look at gay politics of the time, um, although this has subsequently been denied by the late writer Graham Curry and Andrew Cartmel. Right, I'm going to surprise you, Tom. I, I expected to hate it this time. I hadn't watched it for a while. Um, what did you think about when you first saw it? At the, at the first time I saw it, I was... You know, we, you and I, have, we've, talk, we've talked... We've, we've all talked about the, um, the embarrassment factor. And my sort of embarrassment de- deflection armour was on full strength when the Happiness Patrol was on. The, the biggest sort of criticism that I have on it is that it doesn't look like a real place that real people live. It looks like a set they've built with a Citizens Theatre for a, you know, yeah. for a, a production of Clockwork Orange or something. I thought know. the sets were really poor. You have the, the contrast between the moody sort of streets and then the, 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 the harsh overlit sort of scenes in Helen A's. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like a real place that real people live, but if you can, once you accept that they're playing it and it's, it's all, you know, allegorical or whatever, then it's, um, it's a bit easier to take. I, I, at the time, I was a bit, hmm, okay waiting for Nemesis to start, you know what I mean? I kind of, I didn't hate it, but I was a little bit, oh God, I really hope none of my pals are going to watch this because I'm going to have to explain why everyone's walking about in pink and why there's a giant licorice all sort, man. As, a, as an adult, as a grown-up or whatever, the one thing that I really like about it that I really liked at the time, and, and Kenny's already mentioned, was just how good Sylvester is. He, he's, you know, oh, man, pardon the pun, he just has, he has the steel. He's the real McCoy. Yep, I love him, unconditionally. He, and the scene when... When um the scenes when he's talking to to Earl when he's talking to um the lad from Andrazani I can't remember the character name the man in the boat Harold oh gosh no the, Harold the, the, no the, the John guy, Normington yeah John Normington's character doing the survey you know the it's Trevor it's, Sigma yeah it's a great story for self because he gets to do he gets to really play to his doctor's strengths you know he gets to show that he's not afraid of bullies and he gets to you know talk his way around things and talk his way out of stuff Sophie's tremendous in it she's gorgeous it's as an as a I, as I say, I expected to hate it this time, and the only thing that bothered me again was was the the un, the unreality aspect of it. But at the same time, I was really struck by how clever it was without really kind of wearing it too heavily on its sleeve or banging on too too much about it. It struck me as being in some you know there was a phrase that was hurled around at the time in the fan press, oddball. You know, I think it started from John Nathan Turner. It's obviously it's an oddball story. It couldn't. I don't think you would you would get that story in any other era of the program. It's very cartmel, obviously, in its politics. Yeah, I, I, come, I come down on liking it because, you know, I'm, I'm a big Sylvester McCoy fan. I'm a big fan of the era. It's not subtle with a lot of what it's saying, but 
I think if it was subtle, it wouldn't work. It would, it would miss the point. They didn't understand me. Oh, they understood you only too well. That's why they resisted you. They only wanted the best for them. The best? Prisons, death squads, executions? They only came later. I told them to be happy. But they wouldn't listen. I gave them every chance. Oh, I know they laughed sometimes, but they still cried. They still wept. Don't you ever feel like weeping, Helen A? Of course not, Doctor. It's unnecessary. And those that persisted had to be punished. Why? For the good of the majority. For the ones that wanted to be happy, who wanted to take the opportunities that I gave them. And what were these opportunities you gave them? A bag of sweets? A few tawdry party games? Bland, soulless music? Do these things make you happy? Of course they don't. Because they're cosmetic. Happiness is nothing unless it exists side by side with sadness. Two sides. One coin. You can keep your coin, Doctor. And your sadness. I'll go somewhere else. I'll find somewhere where there is no sadness. A place where people know how to enjoy themselves. I'm sure you will, Helen A. A place where people are strong. Where they hold back the tears. A place where people pull themselves together. Where there is no compassion. Where there's control. Well, a few observations. Well, first of all, something you said, Kenny. Uh, you were saying you didn't really like it and you are a bit embarrassed by it when you first saw it. And then yeah. years, years on, you gave it another look. There's a fundamental weakness in a show which cannot appeal to its target audience when it's first broadcast, but can only appeal when that audience has become mm. older and, and gone beyond the target audience, if you like. I mean, I think that is, is, is a fundamental problem of, of most of what JNT did during his time as, as producer. When the lift music is playing when they first come out, that's the Doctor Who theme they listen to, isn't it? It's a, a, a lift music version of, of the Doctor Who theme. It seems In my head, it's not. Right. I'm not sure. I, I've never noticed yeah, that. Yeah, well, I wasn't entirely sure, but twice I heard it, I thought, well, that's the Doctor Who. I think it's, if I remember correctly, Dominic Glenn did a remix of some of the music from Happiness Patrol, and it's not the originals, right. but I don't remember yeah, it. Yeah, it might not be. Um, I mean, I am trying to... F I'm looking on all the things that we're looking at and trying to get positive things out of it. So here's my positive take on it. McCoy isn't as bad as he is in in Time in the Rani. Is that so you finished? That's that no, that's <laughs> that's that's one thing. He's he's all right in it. He's definitely not as embarrassing as he was in Time in the Rani, but I still don't think he's a great actor by any stretch of the imagination. But that didn't really matter so much because I was fascinated by just how cheap it looked. I mean, they had spent no money on this at all. It was the last one made in the season, wasn't it? Was, it was, because obviously all, all the money had gone in remembrance and so But, but here's the thing, you know, you, you talk about the, there's a politics, the, 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 there's a political element to the, the, the gender war and, and one sex is treated different from the other. The Happiness Patrol, have you ever seen Carry On Cabby? Not Sid James, years. Hattie Jakes. And Not for a long time. It's about it's black and white, early sixties, I think, and it's about you know it's glam cabs or something, isn't it? Glam cabs yeah. is set up as the rival company to the traditional London cabs, and glam cabs are driven exclusively by leggy young women in short skirts and high heels. And I looked at the Happiness Patrol and thought, there's glam cabs. Mm. They've, they've moved into Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. This idea that you can empower women by making them dress up in short, skimpy dresses with long legs and high heels. My God, even in 1987 or 88, this must have been outdated even. It's yeah, written but, by men. Men yeah, are evil. I think, I think it's, what's interesting about it is that the actresses involved themselves have said, themsel have said as much themselves. They were all... They were aware it was it was heightened and ridiculous because the makeup was so over the top. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realise for a long time. Do you remember the 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 Ralph Bates sitcom Dear John? Mm -hmm. And do you remember the sort That's of brilliant. Do you remember the the, the counselor woman with her any sexual? Yes, I saw. She was and it was Georgina Hale. Yeah, it was years years later that I realised. I couldn't place her. Be right. She was one of them. Yeah. And then there was the 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 very sexy lady who pearls haven't. I think that may be John. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that's deliberate that they're wearing these contrived, overtly, sort of stylized sort of outfits. Yeah, we can we can try retrospectively um, to justify I th it. I think, no, I'm, I'm sure they've said as much in, in interviews that they were aware they had, you know, because Helen A had it themselves. They were, all the characters, even yeah. the male characters have got this all, this painted, painted on yeah, to, to, false to, happiness, you know. Yeah. And I think that painted on is very much the whole thing because 
it's about can, surface, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very much well, surface. The, the, but the hypersexuality of the dress, doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't, that's yeah. not justified. It's counterproductive, any, isn't it? Any, I mean, it's, it, it's, you're, like, you're, right, you're right, because it's like, remember the, the one that turns on the two Ronnies? Yeah. When all yes. The, which was based I, on a Doctor Who script. Yes. Which um which and that and rather and has the, the the future female fascist police all wearing like you know leather hot pants and high heels and your high heel boots. <laughs> which is what you expect from the two Ronnies. You don't expect from Doctor. I mean, it's um so it's it's interesting as Kenny says it's it's that it's that you know because they've probably just been they've probably just been you know if they've been practical they've probably just been boiled. So it's, it's, it's you're right. It's a fetishizing sort of um yeah it's thing, isn't it? It's yeah. completely sexist and just. I just think you know it's, it's not to its strength, shall we say? Yeah, I think I mean, the, the joke was that these are women who were slightly over the hill and they've yeah. dressed them up as these young dollies. I think, I, that, was, I think that was. The I idea. think Helen A's dog is the worst puppet since Wang Chiang. Right. Clearly. Yeah, Fifi is is not the greatest, but the idea of it's good in some bits. Uh, but but actually, and and at the time, I hated Bertie Bassett, and for corporate reasons, they couldn't call it that. But. In hindsight, and I remember, I think I mentioned in an earlier episode of this, that I've got a friend who's considerably younger than me, and he yes. was actually quite yes. scared by Bertie Bassett. Mm. And I think, trying to, looking at it from a younger perspective, I can see why it would have been a bit creepy and, un- and disconcerting. It's quite, it's quite disturbing as an adult, because you go, as the idea of that familiar, you know, sort of childhood icon, yeah, as, as a monster. It's, it's not quite, a bad idea. I don't it's, think it's yeah. particularly well carried off, but the voice is a bit creepy, and I can, yeah, I, I think that kind of worked in a sort of weird way that I didn't mm-hmm. expect it to work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this has been included in, the, in these three adventures because of, of politics and obviously there's the Helen A being Margaret Thatcher. I mean, the BBC and Doctor Who writers, there is a tradition of being kind of left-wing mm. and, and, and nobody seeks to deny that. It was interesting, last week we were talking about Tooth and Claw and when I was watching that, there was, a, there was an, uh, an incident just as as David Tennant and Billy Piper were leaving the TARDIS and they, they thought they were in 1979 and he was going to all the things that happened in 1979 and he said and Margaret Thatcher and he grimaces yes uh, so there's no there's no yes. question there's no course, hiding the, right, yeah, the yeah. particular agenda yeah yeah. yeah. I suppose given that David was, was previously quite a well known supporter of the Labour Party and mm-hmm. Tony Blair and Gordon Brown's time well that's when I met him yes. when he came to the Commons at a reception and I Got my picture taken with him. Uh, a colleague called Kerry McCarthy took this great picture of me talking to uh, David Tennant. And it, in it, I'm showing him my phone. Now, I can't remember why I was showing him my phone. There was some the photograph on it or something. It wasn't remotely interested, but I wanted to chat to him for it as long as possible. It was probably a text from Kerry with some big finish. But, I got, I, but I got that photograph and I put it on my blog at the time. And the caption was me saying to him, and here's a picture of you taking your bins out a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. I, I thought, Happiness Patrol, I thought it was, it was fine. It wasn't as bad as I remember. You know, that's that, that's a, mm. a roaring review from Tarsley. Yeah, high five. Cons- <laughs> considering Tom's uh, <laughs> previous stance in the West, yeah, to, to even to be lukewarm towards him. They're not going to put that wasn't as bad as I expected on the, on the poster. <laughs> yeah. With a two-star rating. <laughs> no, I, I just, I you know, make no secret, I, I, I love Self and I love the... Kenny talk, mentioned it when he's when he the little bit when he sings as time goes by it, it gave me chills. I mean, I just like I was standing there watching it, standing in the kitchen watching this, making my tea that night, and I was just like, oh, I love this guy. Mm. He's just like he's untouchable as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's our thoughts on the Happiness Patrol. And next, Dave is so finally today we're bringing things into the twenty first century with the sound of drums. The sound of drums was the twelfth episode of series three of Doctor Who. It marked the first full appearance of John Sim as the Master, disguised as Harold Saxon, revealing the significance of that name across the series. The Master had been behind scenes in the modern day since The Runaway Bride, having arrived a year and a half prior to Torchwood's story End of Days. It also introduced a fictitious version of the United States President. At the end of this episode, the Doctor appeared profoundly defeated, with catastrophic consequences for his companions and the residents of the planet Earth. This episode is also notable for showing the Master as a child, making the only known appearance of the Master's first incarnation on television. The story also revealed Jack's involvement with Torchwood, and that really means that Jack's involved, revealed to the Doctor that Jack had been involved with Torchwood, didn't it? No. Yeah. I have, I mean, I, I really enjoy this episode, partly because of the cliffhanger from Utopia, because I think that is one of the best cliffhangers ever in Doctor Who. You know, yes. the Master regenerates into John Sim and strands the Doctor trillions of years in the future. 
And then at the very beginning of this, that's all written off. The Doctor and Jack and, Ro- and uh, Martha just appear in the present day. That's it. And I mentioned it earlier on about the, the, the tendency of the, the, the Doctor to use their deus ex machina solution to things. And here we got it. You know, there was, there was no stranding. I mean, that was a really important, horrible uh, challenge for the Doctor to face. But, and, and he faced it by pressing a button. And coming yeah. back, and I just thought well, that's a bit of a cop out. But yeah. of course, that's not what the story's about. You know, we go into the main story. He obviously Russell T Davies just obviously wanted to get that out of the way, but it's such a lazy way of doing it. It really irritated me. But what irritates me more about this episode, which I do enjoy, is Russell T Davies's very tenuous grasp of politics in all of its forms. He showed this back in World War Three, when he's got this love of the United Nations. He's got this idea that the United Nations is powerful in some way. That, and in World War Three, the United Nations were going to give Britain the code to fire its nuclear weapons. Really? The United Nations has nothing to do with any armory anywhere in the world. The UN itself doesn't have any troops. You know, it's just, it was just nonsense. But just fine because it was part of the story and it helped increase the, the attention that particular story but in this one you mentioned about the Dave uh, the the fictional United States president Rusty Davis doesn't know what a president-elect is because at the end of Sound of Drums the American president turns to the the profligate the what's it why Toclafane and says I am so and so president-elect of the United States well if you're president-elect that means you don't have any executive power you're not the president you haven't been inaugurated there is a president who's your your predecessor why isn't he here and I thought, it's That's such a thing. tiny little sure. thing but why did he say president-elect mm. president-elect of planet earth Present elect means you've been elected but you haven't taken okay. office yet. Anyway, that's that annoyed I'd me. I've never picked up on that, but I see what you mean by that. Um, also, he's got a, you know, a very tenuous... I mean, this is me speaking as an ex-politician. This always annoys me when anyone ever depicts politics, British politics and they get stuff wrong. I'm like Alan Partridge. Stop getting James Bond wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a bit where they're trying to explain Saxon's rise to power. And he had been a defence minister in the past. But then he says to his cabinet, oh, you all just abandoned your own parties and joined yeah. me when you saw the way the yeah, wind was that, blowing. That, that sounds like he's a president rather yes. than a prime minister. And, that, and I don't think Russell T. Davis thing. understands yeah. the parliamentary system. You know? it's, it's interesting because he then goes to kill them all immediately and you think, well, how are they going to get all those bodies out of the office? And yeah. That wasn't my big problem with that. I, yeah. thought that was a, <laughs> I, I thought that was a great scene. Where he, yeah. That was a very funny scene with a gas mask and yeah. that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, this, this you know, how, how did he become Prime Minister if he didn't have his own party? I think the, the whole, I think it's all sort of faffed away with the, with his archangel network and the fact that um, everybody just sort of, yeah, let's join him, this one-man band. But, but there's this, there's this also this continuation of, of Russell Davis's obsession with the UN, because at one point the President-elect says to the Prime Minister, uh, there are provisions at the UN to have you removed from office. Really? I must have missed that world government uh, being introduced. That's I mean that that's interesting. Do you think in do you think at this point in the Doctor Universe there is some there is a do you think there is maybe a different political yes, structure? We have, to, we have to it assume. Has to be, I mean it's obviously made up, it's obviously yeah. not real. You tell yeah. me Doctor Who's not real. But it just annoys me that rather than because there's no need to do that. There mm. were there are yeah. things happening in the current constitutional setup that could have been used and are just as exciting and interesting as stuff that you make up. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think it sounds a wee bit lazy, that's all. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Harold, the presentation of Harold Saxon as a, as a semi-Blairite type figure? Well, yes. I mean, obviously there was this whole um, that's having a dig at Blair-like... That's, that's the thing that really got me watching it because it's, it's, it's quite scary. I think it's 12 year, more than 12 years since this was on. Well, this was what, no. spring 19... Yeah, two thousand seven. So, so this was, is what was happening. I couldn't remember. Blair left office on the twenty seventh of June two thousand seven. Right. So this would have just mean? before Blair left right. and was replaced by Gordon. Yeah, it's just so obvious that John Sim, John Sim, who owns this episode, is basically just he's having a he's playing Tony Blair. You know, it's the the fixed grin, yeah. the, the the hand movements, even even the line. Um, Katie, I've talked about this before. Britain, Britain, Britain. It was just so. Russell was so good at doing that sort of zeitgeisty, yeah, sort of thing. cultural references, you know, and um, that you know the, the bit with McFly, the bit with Sharon Osbourne, and all that sort of stuff. It was it was hilarious, you know. It was um, it was so pointed. 
I, this this was actually the first thing that I really remember seeing John Sim in because I'd never watched Life on Mars. You what? What? No, I'd what? never watched. I've never, I've never, I've never seen it. Oh, well, honestly, oh guys, it's oh it's phenomenal. Anyway, right. I I, I was because yeah, right. I think um, of course we get the first scene in Utopia when he's regenerating. He's got that hypermanic energy with the bye bye yeah. and all those um, that manic energy and people are thinking, oh god, here he goes. This is what we're going to get with the stiff master. But of course, it's post regeneration trauma once again. So by the time we get to him here, he's obviously slick and assured. And I do like the and just the pre credit stuff and what this country really needs is a doctor yeah. and he's, he's just so confident and this is a guy who's having a great time playing a fantastic part a glorious day downing street rebuilt the cabinet in session let the work of government begin oh go on crack a smile it's funny isn't it albert funny no Little bit? Yeah, very funny, sir. <laughs> but, but if we could get down to business, there is the matter of policy of which we have very little. No, 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 no. Before we start all that, I just want to say... Thank you. Thank you. One and all. You ugly, fat-faced bunch of wet, snivelling traitors. <laughs> yes, quite. Uh, very funny. But I think... No, no. That wasn't funny. Mm. You see, I'm not making myself very clear. Funny is like this. Not funny is like this. And right now, I'm not like... I'm like... Because you are traitors. Yes, you are! As soon as you saw the vote swinging my way, you abandoned your parties and you jumped on the Saxon bandwagon. So... This is your reward. Excuse me, Prime Minister. Do, do you mind my asking, what is that? A gas mask. I beg your pardon? It's a gas mask. <laughs> yes, but, um, why are you wearing it? Oh, because of what? I'm sorry? Because of the gas. What gas? This gas. I mean, Tom, you've worked obviously with Tony Blair, mm. so tell us yeah. what your thoughts. Well, are. how does how does Sim compare to the real deal? What I was going to say <coughs> was that you know, Rusty Davis has written this um, as a kind of pastiche of New Labour, even though he was probably a bit of a supporter at the time. If you move sideways, if you like, and slightly f a wee bit further forward to Children of Earth Tortured, and this, and this is another theme that keeps coming up with with Rusty Davis's writing and in, in other areas. You know, a suspicion of government's motives, uh, this tendency of British governments to move to the extreme right at the drop of a hat. He did that in turn left, he did it in years and years. Um, and there's a bit in Torchwood which, which is quite upsetting if you're a parent and utterly unbelievable where the government, and you don't know if it's a Labour or a Tory government, accede to the aliens' demand to surrender 10% of the children of Earth to be killed and mm. used by, by the aliens. And in order to do this, they decide to make the choice of the children to be sacrificed by using league tables. And they get the 10% worst performing schools, right? Now, I went on to one of the Doctor forums, I think it was Outpost Gallifrey or something at the time, and I was looking at some of the comments that fans were making, and I was really struck by the number of fans that said, well, this is a very accurate representation of politicians. And I was incensed because that is such nonsense. I mean, of course, you know, the tendency, the, the willingness of the public, especially Doctor Who fans on this one occasion, to believe that most politicians are psychopathic maniacs who hate their constituents, that really annoyed me. And I think the way that Rusty Davis has written in the past has contributed to a cynicism that is not justified. It really is not. And I went on and I was a sitting MP at the time and I said... I said this, I said, you know, this is nonsense. It's, it's drama, it's fictional, it's entertaining, but it's wrong because politicians don't think that way. We don't think what's the best way we can kill people. Yeah. <laughs> Davis made no attempt to understand sure. 
political priorities. It was just about, well, this is a good story, and, and, that's, and it was a good story, but there's an element of it in this, a wee bit, uh, an element of, the, of that kind of cynicism and antagonism towards elected politicians. And that's fair enough, because politicians are fair game, but it, it does annoy me that theme that you get in Rusty Davis's writing. Yeah. Now, incidentally, here's another Rusty Davis uh, um, anecdote. And there's two anecdotes concerning this. Um, the BBC used to invite MPs along to previews of the Christmas special. And in 2007, we were invited up to the London Science Museum to watch Voyage of the Damned. And there was right. a question-answer session afterwards. It was great. And it was the best night ever of my life. Apart from my wedding night, obviously. I was but, about to say, Carolyn, yeah, if you're yeah. listening... Callum was with me, right? So I was a minister at the time, so got dropped off at the Science Museum by my ministerial driver. Carl and I went into this Amazing. event, and afterwards the ministerial driver was still waiting for me to take me home. It was just brilliant. And at this event, so there was David Tennant, John Sim, was An- Anthony Head. Kyla was not there, sadly. Right. Uh, Rusty Davis, uh, you know, all the production people. Stephen Moffat and his wife were there. Um, it was just, and, and it was really busy, just massively packed uh, place and they were serving free drink it was it must have cost a fortune and it was just a brilliant night and I got speaking to I got my photograph taken with Les Sladen mm. um, it was just a wonderful night I got speaking to everybody I got my photograph taken with Rusty Davis and that was great that was it I got my photograph taken thanks Russell nice to meet you left mm. a couple of years later I read the writer's story yeah. is that what it's called? yeah, yeah. yeah. and I I was flicking through it before I read it. And you I were got, looking for a name check, weren't I was, you? I was looking for a name check. No, I got to the seat that, that night. Yeah, I remember. And yeah. He, was, he said in the writer's story, and all these bloody MPs with their red wine lips getting their picture taken with me, and I don't even know if they're Tories or not. <laughs> and I was incensed, because I thought I was one of those MPs. Um, and I wasn't drinking red wine. Cause the, yeah, it's obviously he's trying to say that MP, you know, MPs aren't allowed to be Doctor Who fans as well. Well, what he's actually saying is, is that, he, that Tory MPs shouldn't be Doctor Who fans and shouldn't get the photograph taken because the guy that took the photograph of me with Russell that I put on my blog yeah. was Rob Wilson, a Tory MP and a friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really annoyed me that you he had such a low opinion of MPs. Do you think Russell just doesn't like MPs full yes, stop? Yes, I think so. I think yeah. that's probably right. But uh, that, that was also the night where after more than a few Moscow mules, equal parts of vodka and lime juice, I, I spied oh. John Sim on his own. So <laughs> I staggered across, John! <laughs> Fantastic. And I said, I saw what a brilliant performance it has the master. I says, you know, you should be the next doctor. He said, I can't be the next doctor, I'm the master. I says, oh, I can do anything, <laughs> doctor. And he was not impressed. <laughs> so you're the reason why he's not coming back to Doctor Who? Yes, probably. <laughs> Sim was, um, he was ast- he's astonishing in this episode, really, isn't he? I mean, I love, I love how fast-paced it is, how, how, how it cuts together. It's, it's, it's quite unlike any other Doctor Who story before or since. In a lot of ways, it's, it's that... It's it's it reminds me of stuff like you know Olympus has fallen you know those sort of yeah. high octane political sort of I, 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 maybe I'm you know? conscious that I sound like I'm being a wee bit too hard on Rusty Davis obviously the politics thing of it I, I this is one of my favourite David Tennant episodes I mm-hmm. think it's brilliant and in the very last scene where the Doctor is such an old man the makeup is so fantastic yeah, yeah. sometimes in that series when they when Mark Gatiss and the Lazarus experiment had been aged it didn't look right it just looked fake. This with David Tennant is amazing. It's and it's interesting that they they, use a, they don't just reheat the makeup from the end of human nature, or family blood. You know, yeah, like, um, it's you know, different. It's it's another. It's it's I. Um, I remember David was on Ready Steady Cook around this time. Right, where he was on with his, his his late dad, and there was actually when he's you can actually see actually David looks like his dad did. I am um, the makeup's that good. I met his dad once. I've not. I've the Reverend. Not, I haven't consciously met DT. Um, well, my, my sister has a brilliant story about the day he, he came into the HMV. She was working at the time, like the day before Matt Smith's first episode. But I, I met his dad when he, in his capacity when he was the um, was it the, I'm sure he was the moderator because he came mm-hmm. to our church in Foxbar. I met him very just said hello and briefly because my mom was talking to him. my mom. I think knew him quite well. So that was I. That was my. It's it's, it's baffling that the the two the two skinny you know Davids from Paisley that were talking to your fans weren't pals. It's it's funny. Um, I I just want to rave about John Sim. I want to rave about Barrowman who just comes back and is terrific. I want to rave about Freema because she's she's really bedding in by this point. She's obviously, you know, feeling a lot more confident about what she's doing and all the scenes of her family just really... Even Reggie Yates, who I was cynical about. They, you know, they, they show how high the stakes are and, and that the 
the master is just so sadistic. Like, you know, the, the journalist lady, you know. Mm. Figuring, Rook. Yeah, figuring out what's going on and then, you know, and just the way that, um... It's the just opening and closing the door, listening yeah, to her it's scream. Yeah, it's brilliant. so yeah. funny. And, um, you know, the scenes when he, when he phones DT and, like, you know, that they realise that they're kind of, you know, they're on the security cameras. And that was just that oh, was kind of touching, so that, uh, that scene, actually, where they're, they're actually kind of allowing themselves to start reminiscing about Gallifrey. Yeah. And almost, John Sim is almost regretful that the Time Lords are gone mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and sees an opportunity to have a go at David Tennant because he's the one that pressed the button. And I think that was just really well written. Yeah. I've actually um, been to that location of that shopping centre. I bet you have. It's in a place called Clamaden, because uh, yeah. when we've been down to Cardiff, we've stayed in the travel lodge there. And first time got there, we arrived quite early in the day and thought, well, actually, we need some crisps and stuff. So we went out for a walk. I'm just walking in this shopping centre. It's so familiar. And it was only about a week later that episode was repeated on the TV. And I was like, oh, I, that's exactly Is it the same shopping centre where the Ottens broke out of the windows? No, different no, one. Right. This, this is a. Clamaden was described to me by. A uh, person who worked on the show as the arsehole of Cardiff. <laughs> so there we go. Also, the other thing I'd love to about this, um, the sound of drums, the cliffhanger is so good when the music just kicks in. It's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. in the video child. Yeah. Um, I just think it just, yeah. it's just bang, I, here we go. I remember my friend Joanna saying at the time she she probably thought I would hate that bit because it was too on the nose, but I thought it was fine. It's just so, again, it's so zeitgeisty. And in the next episode when they're playing the, the Scissor Sisters, I mean, it's just so. I love that scene. I, th- yeah. I think one of one of Russell's strengths is just nailing it so well in the here and now. Although, and we're not talking about Last of the Time Lords in this episode. Maybe we'll come back to it. I think because of the strength of Sound of Drums, it makes Last of the Time Lords more weak. Mm. Because Last of the Time Lords has probably got the worst ending and the worst oh, resolution yes, yes. Uh, of any of the series that, that Rusty Davis uh, oversaw. It was it was just so lame. And, mm-hmm. and didn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. I hate um, time travel solutions ever since yeah, the end of Superman. Super, it's the Superman the movie yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. So I think in, in contrast with its own sequel, it is even stronger, mm-hmm. but it, that's, that doesn't spell good news for Last of the Time Lords. Because mm-hmm. it's fast and it's furious yeah. all the way through. And very emotionally engaging because mm-hmm. you really yeah. you kind of sympathise with the master a little bit uh-huh. and, and you don't you want him to win but you kind of like him yeah um yeah. And, and david Tennant's performance is brilliant as you say barrowman's is as well and, and martha it, it's just it's a fantastic yeah, it, ensemble it, it does it does a very good job of, of not um of not tipping into being cheesy or kind of you know it walks a thin line and, and, it, and it's and it stays just and it, the balance between the sort of some of the humor with the master and Mm-hmm. The, the stakes of it all is it's done very very well yeah, yeah I agree ok that's us for this particular episode uh, remember to vote on December the 12th absolutely um, subscribe to us on iTunes and if you like us leave a review if you don't like us don't leave a review follow us on Twitter at Power of 3 Pod that's 3 as a number Power of 3 Pod we also have a Facebook page where you can leave comments suggestions and of course listen to episodes of this podcast and can I remind anyone who's following us on Twitter to let us know what their favourite non-canon bit of Doctor Who is and should it be canon. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Um, Yeah, goodbye from me. And for me, happiness will prevail. So here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums.